Okay, wake up in the morning and I go and get the paper. Gotta get the paper. Every morning gotta go and get the paper. And a nice cup of coffee. Order Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Malachi Barrett. I'm, I'm Tyler Gustav. And I'm Kelsey Kapasos. And we're the Raving Geeks. <laughs> hey guys, Ben Solis here. <laughs> ben Solis is not it's here. It's my birthday. Love me. In a world where we have shoutouts to our new followers, we recognize Shane Seal, Joe Alibaran, that's a hard one to say, <laughs> Rachel Harrison, Christina and Mike. That's They share a Twitter. That's Their name is Christina and Mike. That's not me screwing that up. That happened. <laughs> Hope Brookins, Stefan Mayer, Tony Adams. Go listen to the last episode. Tony Adams was on. He talked about card games and stuff. It was pretty cool. Juan Corona. Tucker K, Marketing Solutions. That's like a real estate marketing. I don't even think a person actually runs that one, but they follow us. <laughs> Goldsorv Fafflitberger. She's a, she, I think she's from Sweden. That one's pretty tough. Sam, Laura Pittman, Carol Riley. That's definitely an adult superstar, wouldn't you say, Tyler? Look at the photo on that one. Yeah, I, uh, that, that definitely looks like a uh, spam account. Yeah, she's following 1,300 people. In, I got a feeling that she does not want to talk about anything. She doesn't exist. And Richard C. Meyer, who's actually kind of cool. I like him. He's uh, he's an animator, 3D animator. He's a veteran, and he tweets about nerdy stuff all the time. So, yeah. Shane Seal, for a second I was like, that name sounds really familiar. And then I remember that's actually someone that I work with. And during the interview processes that I've been doing, I was like, oh, yeah, we did a funny thing about – People fighting. I had to fight my my boss Malachi wearing a tuxedo. He's like, really? Where where do I see that at? And I was like, oh, it's on Twitter. You can get get our episode. So he he followed us. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, you know what? Hey, Shane. If you haven't followed us, go follow us at Raving Geeks. Uh, it's actually Ben Solis's birthday today as we're recording happy this. Happy birthday, Ben. Ben, happy birthday. Yep, a a dashing nineteen years old, Ben. Wow, what a what a whippersnapper! If he's what a 19, young boy. Life was not kind of bad. <laughs> he looks beaten down. Yeah, hopefully he's in having a good, good time way, in a great way. Though. He uh, he's gonna have a pretty cool conversation a little bit later that we're going to splice into this episode. But for now, it's just the three amigos, and we are here to talk about uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story, the new trailer that dropped uh, this morning. Uh, you know, I'm still actually not sold on this the title. I was gonna. Well, I thought you were gonna say something else, but no. I wish they kept it the anthology films. That sounds so much better than a Star Wars story. Like I feel like yeah. they, like Rogue One, a Star Wars story is a sta- is a story that I would read to my child before I put them to bed. Yeah, you know. And then, and then you see the trailer, and it's this gritty war movie. I I really like anthology films so much better. Yeah, I think that's a more sophisticated title. Yeah, Star Wars story reminds me of kind of like Toy Story almost. Yeah. Which is great. A Christmas story. I mean, if you're gonna be something, be Toy Story. But, it is Disney, eh? Yeah. Well, um, I guess first impressions, the protagonist is a female. Felicity Jones, man. Some people are a little upset about that. And And I'm angry that people are angry about it. Kelsey's stewing. Before Kelsey Kelsey goes on a rant, I just want to say I'm all for it. I... More females, it kind of like we made the joke, and it's it's. I don't even feel bad saying this because it's commonplace. Before these movies, there was like one female in Star Wars, and there was like one black person, and then they made yeah. the leads in the new Star Wars a black person and a female, and people freaked out and were like, "Okay, now we have two of each," and it's like we we need this is a galaxy, okay? This is this is a galaxy full of people and aliens, and the chances that there's going to be 
diverse characters and female characters is pretty high because I think on the planet Earth, if I'm not mistaken, there's actually more female than men, right? On I the campus of Central I Michigan that's, University. That's a, hey, that's what my college education paid for, for me to know that fact. <laughs> and so the chances that on multiple planets that that may be a common thing makes sense i'm all for more female characters look i'm gonna go out on a limb here if you have an entire planet that is desert that has one topographical feature (laughs) another planet that maybe is all ice maybe there's a planet of all women i would like you know and i would rather see a planet with different seasons film a star wars thing in in michigan because in about a week (laughs) and a half we've had summer spring fall winter spring winter winter spring winter michigan has i've gone on the record of saying this that michigan has the worst version of all four seasons i actually sent yeah our, our, our good friend david griffin lives in california i sent him a picture the other day of it outside in the morning i go you gotta love february's in april right and he just started laughing at me sent him a picture six hours later of it downpouring and all the snow being gone and he just like he just was laughing like it's terrible you know what we really need is like a summer beach movie on hoth i'd watch that like apparently everything dries up and it's like lando goes out there with like some beach babes and it's like a fun time I thought you were going to bring in, like, the Raving Geeks cabana again. And I was going to be like, yes, we do. I was hoping you would. I was like, we do need more Raving Geeks. That's actually located on Tatooine, I think, right? Yes. Okay, sorry. That was a long sidetrack. But Kelsey's pissed. People are upset that there is a female lead in this movie. God forbid two Star Wars movies, it seems, at this point. So what are your thoughts on this? All right, here – here, here we go. All right, listen, kids. That was a full-body crack. I don't know if you heard that. It was impressive. That was, she's in combat mode. I'm so ready to fight everyone on this. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you guys in on a little secret. Since the dawn of Star Wars, there has always been female fans. This is not just about you. This has never just been about you. You need to sit down and let someone else have a turn. Do you remember what sharing is about? We learned it in kindergarten. Let someone else have the spotlight for a change. Because guess what? It's not all about white males, guys. It's not. Stop being piss babies about something that doesn't matter and grow the bacaw up. I love that piss baby, baby came back. Oh, That's yeah. one of my favorite. It's insults. almost as good as douche canoe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so mad. I don't get it. I don't yeah. get why people are mad about it. It's stupid. Well, you see, what, see what, what the thing here is, Kelsey. The reason people are upset about it is because people don't like change, okay? People, and this, this goes in even in the comic book movies. I'm going to spoil something that just happened in an episode of Arrow that people are freaking out about. All right. The, the character of Dinah Lance, who everyone knows as Black Canary, just died. And the world shut down. Because, in, in, I don't know, in, I don't want to get too much into it. I don't want to detract from Star Wars. But the reason I'm upset about it is everyone complains about this character on the show. They hate her. They don't want her on screen. They don't want her on screen. They don't want her on screen. She dies, and now everyone freaks out because in the comic books, Oliver Queen is supposed to end up with Black Canary, and they're supposed to live happily ever after. Wrong. In the comic books, that's what's supposed to happen. The TV show is something completely different. Change is okay. The old thing you still like is okay. So now I'm going to say for all those people, and I don't want to freak out, but chances are they're, you know, they're probably white and older. That My are freaking out God. that that there's a female led in the show. If if it's such a huge problem, they can sit down on their couch in their trailer park, put in the VCR version of a New Hope that they have that with no special effects, and watch a New Hope over and over and over again until they just like pass out in a sweaty heap of a mess and worship the altar of George Lucas because we don't even need that anymore. I want to see this. I, 
I don't want to see the same old Star Wars. Look, as a sweaty as a sweaty 85-year-old white man who lives in a trailer by himself, I find offense to that statement. I don't care. You know, what, you know what I say? Get over it. It's happening, okay? <laughs> Unfortunately, I think you're wrong. It's not just those older no, guys. No, I know it's And not. it's so silly. I just – I don't I, – I don't get it. I think it's childish. And if you're going to stop watching a franchise that you've loved Good. for years because Good. now there's a female it. in it and you're mad that a female is in the lead – and, you know, I don't know, like, do you not think that there are female fans? I don't get it. Like, if you have a problem with pe- girls liking the same things you do, then you're not going to like anything because girls like all kinds of things. We are huge geeks as much as guys are, if not maybe even more. Kelsey, well, I'd say you're a bigger geek than I am. I, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I just wanted to call you geek in a way that you won't get mad at me. Well, <laughs> and, and Carrie Fisher, you know, was a huge part of what made Star Wars so great in the first place, too. So let's not forget about exactly. the fact that this has kind of been, and you know, Star Wars has had problems with, with diversity and representation and stuff before. So I'm not saying that the old films were good at this before, necessarily, but like one third of the main characters was always female. Right. So um, what I thought was kind of cool is that we might get to see a little bit more of Mon Mothma in this, too, who is essentially somebody who, what, spoke like two lines in the original yeah, trilogy. Yeah, and, and not only that, but she's like, she's like a character that was given like a super important role like through like all like the legends books and stuff like that. Yeah. And to me, because she did not have a big part in that original trailer or the original trilogy besides like being the important person in the room, you know, kind of thing, but she never spoke. It was almost like her my idea of this character was grander in my brain and then when I actually was aware of who she was and went back and watched the original trailer trilogy and then saw how she was like in three scenes. She's essentially a, a woman in a sheet who has a yeah. long neck and what I would you call that a fashionable haircut? Kind of a closer crop. Eh, you know, hey man, crazy times back in the seventies and eighties. Space seventies. You know, so I was like, Space I was like, 70s. I was kind of like, that's it. Like, yeah, where's this grand, you know, leader that I've heard so much about? And then through research, I found out that it's in other things. So I was excited to see the younger version of her. Well. Technically, she's around the same age of when we originally saw her, but yeah. now younger version of her in these movies. You know, I want her, I want her to be in charge. You know, and what's really cool too is like the casting for that was like dead on. I, it looks like the same lady. Same, I almost thought yeah. it was like CGI for a second. Uh, she's actually the person who played a young Mon Mothma in Revenge of the Sith. Um, and there was, I think, a brief scene either in the Senate or like toward the end. Yeah, of that you, movie I think you saw her in, in the Senate or something. But. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of cool. Uh, it's kind of weird that she only wears one item of clothing i'm not sure really what that like she needs to diversify her wardrobe. well as, as a as someone who's been watching a ton of hey arnold recently i'm kind of okay with this people wearing the same outfit every single day i mean tyler pretty much wears yeah the same I, outfit I, every wear, day. I got More jeans on today oh wow that, like, i'm impressed yeah it's not gym shorts can't see my legs <laughs> yeah it's you, winter kelsey i'm not crazy <laughs> like well. do, you, do you even have ankles i don't know <laughs> maybe Let's talk about Felicity Jones' character for a little bit. Uh, she has quite the uh, criminal history, I guess, if you look at it in the beginning of that film. She had a mighty big rap sheet. There you go. That's the word I was looking for, rap hey, sheet. There you go, buddy. She That's seems pretty one. badass, though. I like her. Yeah. yeah. She seems tough, rebellious. You you said when we were watching the trailer, the one part about the uh, trailer you didn't really like, like is when she was like, like, I rebel. Yeah. And and I talked with Kelsey. I think that line is a good line. But in the serious tone in which she said it, kind of made me go. <clears throat> yeah. And she just kind of said like, you know, like, well, this and that. And she looks at me and goes, you know, I rebel. You know, like it's a joke. It's funny to her that like, yeah, I'm obviously perfect for this job because I, I all I do is re- rebel against things. So 
it makes sense that that would be part of a rebellion. That's it was like, like a, sorry. No, no, go ahead. It's like a tongue-in-cheek kind of, yeah. like, comment without, but it didn't have the tongue-in-cheek, it, it's, like, It's kind of like when they say the name of the movie in a line in the movie, yeah. and, totally. and you're sitting in the trailer, you're like, that, it's, that's, a lot, that's the name of the movie. No, totally, That that's exactly, I mean, it's like one of those words that, like, is supposed to have a, a lot of significance to the audience, like, rebel, oh, the rebels, the rebels, you know? Yeah. But it's like, in the movie, they're like, yeah, we're the rebels, like, so, like, for her <laughs> so, to say it, so, we're the, so. Yo, (laughs) crack a beer and chug it. (laughs) So like for her to say it with like that reverence was kind of weird, but whatever, I can get over that. I don't, I'm, and I want her to be amazing as I know she's going to be in this movie because if you saw the theory of everything, I don't know if you saw it, but she plays Stephen Hawking's wife in that movie. Mm. She was so good. So good in that movie. And, and Eddie Redmayne won an Oscar and she, in my opinion, was better than he was. So I'm just excited to see the one thing you got to give Marvel with their Disney and the Marvel movie franchise, they're getting talent in their movies. Yeah. Forrest Whitaker was in the movie. You know? That was weird. That kind of took me out of this movie, honestly. Um, I, I like Forrest Whitaker a lot. Me too. He, he's always, he's he's one of those guys, kind of like, like a, I don't want to say, kind of like, a, not, I, I wouldn't put him up there with John Goodman, but you don't really think about John Goodman. And then when you see John Goodman in a movie, you know, John Goodman, solid as, you know, as ever. He's one of those. My only, my only worry is, when I saw him deliver his mind, his line, his mind, his, his, let his, me unleash my mind. <laughs> well, I'm See, my I, mind. I imagined it as him like presenting it yeah, on a platter, here, like yeah. look here it, you go. But the way his body moves when he said his line, if you've ever seen, I can't remember. It's like battle, battle something Mars with John Travolta, where they're like aliens battle. Oh, Battlefield Earth. Battlefield Earth. Yeah. The character that Forrest Whitaker played in that, very similar to me. I might have just ruined it for you when you see it, but the way he talked. Yeah. And then if you go and watch him talk in that movie, it was very similar. And I was like, please don't, like, do that character. There are and, some actors who just, like, they are fit for specific kinds of roles. Like, Sean Connery is kind of fit for more, like, action, spy intrigue movies, you yeah. know? Forrest Whitaker is not really a guy that I would see in space. And I think nope. that's that's kind of what, like, you know, took me out yeah. of it for a second. But also, like, Samuel L. Jackson was in the original Star Wars, or in the prequel trilogy, so, like... You can't get much bigger than that. You yeah. Know? Well, don't even get me started on saying the old Jackson right now. <laughs> I really like uh, the way that they have the old elements of the uh, the original trilogy. Like, they have those weird, like, tic-tac uh, badges, you know, that, like, designate mm-hmm. rank. And they have uh, the screens that, like, the video screens that we, like, saw at Hoth, too. But it, like, it just looks... The AT's not in the snow. Yeah, that's really cool, too. Mm-hmm. It's like a mix of like the practical effects, but like just like enough modern twist or like it's just, it looks good in like clear high def cameras, which I think is probably really hard to do. Yeah. But I think they really nailed the aesthetic. Those black stormtroopers, I don't even know what those things were. Those look but dope. They, yeah. My, my favorite part about the trailer was, like I told you, I knew it was a Star Wars movie when I looked at it, but it didn't feel like a Star Wars movie to me. Maybe that's because... You really didn't see besides like the one scene where the you know you see the star destroyer pan across. There was really not anything that looked like spacey to me. Yeah, you know there was the scene at the end of them like running on the ground underneath the ATATs. But maybe it's because I'm used to in these movies you're in the Millennium Falcon flying around an ATAT or you know like you're flipping around with a lightsaber just to see people running underneath those things like holding like blasters and stuff. I said I mean I said it before we saw the trailer. I was actually more excited for Rogue One than I was for the new Star Wars movie because it's just something new. I think this looks really cool. Um, I will never be as excited for a movie as I was for The Force Awakens, no well, matter what it you, is. And, 
Yeah. And I was going to Even ask, if it's a movie of yeah. me ascending to heaven and they're like, this is what's going to happen. You're going to watch it and then it's going to happen. Even I'll if be it's, like, yeah, but there's no lightsaber. Speaking of ascending to heaven, wait. I may have made you ascend to heaven because I beat you and our fans voted me the winner. I was going to sting it. You stole my thunder. I'm sorry. You stole my he thunder. Set me up for it. I, I was going to say, even if it was a movie of yeah. you two fighting. Yes, unfortunately, the fans decided that uh, if Tyler and I were to fight and he was equipped with a impenetrable tuxedo and I had a Captain America-esque shield, uh, Tyler would win. And uh, I believe it was pretty close. It was. for what I texted you. There was like two hours left, and we were 50-50. Yeah. And, I, and I, I actually sent Malachi a text and said, if this ends in a tie – we have to fight for real and film it. Like it's a thing that's gonna have to happen. Like, and I'll find the nicest thing that looks. Maybe I'll wear a tuxedo T-shirt. Yeah. Know? And it was it was about fifty five forty five. I think. Yeah, I think I so, only beat you by like two votes. So you know what? Next time. So thanks, mom and dad, for going on Twitter and creating a Twitter and voting for me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> it really made the difference. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know, man. Like I, this looks really cool, but um, part of me is a little cynical because we've we're on this like super marketing hype train. I talked about it with the Batman V Superman thing too. And it's like, there's so many franchises going on at the same time right now. And I just, there's almost like, it's either there's too much cool stuff for my brain to handle and delegate like what I should be excited about or what I shouldn't be excited about. Or it's just like, I don't know. I feel like a kid, at the candy store, who's just been fed a lot of candy. I'm, I'm not going to lie for me. I'm going to, I'm just going to say it now. Yeah, I I really liked Batman v Superman. I did. I liked it. I didn't love it, you know, but man, that movie let me down. And I've never felt I've never felt superhero movie fatigue before. But after the Batman v Superman movie, kind of like how you were saying it at the time, I, I didn't agree with you. But now, like I'm sitting down thinking, about it, I I did. I haven't seen super. I haven't seen it again. I have a gift card to go to the movie theaters for free. And I and I haven't gone to see it. It's so long. Again, no. And the thing is, I don't really like the Divergent series at all. But Mackenzie was like, I was like, Mackenzie, let's go see a movie. Full aware that I was gonna go see, like we talked about, we we're gonna go see Batman v Superman again. We got to the movie theater. She looked at me and she goes, "Can we please see Allegiant instead?" And I was just like, "You know what? Yeah, let's see that." <laughs> because you know, I just. I just couldn't bring myself to see it again. And I, I, I probably will not see it until I get on. I'm going to buy it on Blu-ray because, I, I mean, I have Man of Steel. I, I want to try to get all, like, the Marvel movies. So I'm going to buy it, and I'm going to watch that three-hour cut. You're going to buy all the Marvel movies? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to watch the Marvel movies. Movies. Oh. I, I will say, before we get back to Star Wars, though, I will say, I don't know how adding another half hour to that movie is going to fix anything. but it, I, don't, I don't think it's going to fix anything. I think, honestly, what it's going to do is maybe make the pacing a little better. Yeah. So that, Wait, they're adding a half hour in the yeah. in the extended direction because they cut, cut yeah. the movie. Ugh. They cut the movie for time, not for content. So I'm thinking that it just kind of made some of those cuts super like the cuts that would have been just kind of jarring. I think they made them super jarring. So I I don't think it's gonna make me go, oh, it's an a five out of five movie. I'm Ben Solis. This movie's amazing. <laughs> but I think it'll go. It made it, it took it from like a seventy. Five to seventy-eight. You know what I mean. I like, don't think that I could sit through another half hour of oh, that movie. It was that was a rough movie I for me. I will say, I, I liked your comments. I will disagree with you. Wonder Woman wasn't the only redeeming part. She was great. She's up there. Like for me, it goes Batman and then Wonder Woman. Like you nope. can't. I didn't like Batman. I, see, and that's fine. But for me, like when you said like, Wonder Woman was the only redeeming thing, I was like, that's a little extreme. What did you think about uh, what I said about the origin story? 
I I agree with you. I don't want to see it ever again. I don't I don't ever want to see Martha and Thomas Wayne die ever again. I don't need it. I've seen it enough. I've seen it. I dream about it. It's, I've seen it so it's much. traumatized Tyler to the point where yeah. he's begun creating his own bat suit. I was watching Walking Dead had. and I was waiting for someone to jump out and kill Negan and, and Maggie because I was like, I've seen them die so many times. Yeah, we should uh, we should talk about Walking Dead at some point too because they are they I just finished a, their season. Oh, I'm so behind. I had a two right. hour talk it's with okay. my mother today about The Walking Dead. Really? I kind of want to call her and get her on the podcast or bring her in special guest. She was not a fan. No, no, my mom. There's two shows that my mom loves that I would never think that she loves. One is Walking Dead, and the other one is Game of Thrones. And just listening to her talk about those things. It's so amazing. It's a, lot like, of, a lot of talk, Let me tell you, talking, talking to my mother about Walking Dead for two hours was pretty entertaining. She, she's only, she said she is only watching it because she thinks Jeffrey Dean Morgan is amazing. He's so fun to watch is what yeah. she said. Pretty much what she means is she thinks he's very sexy. And <laughs> she kind of wants the show to be all about him. He's great. He's yeah. really great in that role. Let's stop getting sidetracked, though. Sorry, Star Wars. Sorry. Star Wars. Star Wars. Well, that's oh, the wow. problem. There's sorry. so much stuff out right now. Yeah. But, yeah, okay. I mean, there was some cool stuff in the trailer, though. Uh, the Death Troopers looked really sweet, or Shadow Troopers, or whatever they're going to be called. Yeah. They look like some kind of elite fighting force. There was some kind of, like, uh, Grand Moff or something like that in a, in the big, white, flowy robe. Oh, so, that, that's uh, Ben Mendelsohn. People are thinking it's Grand, Grand, Grand Admiral Thrawn. Well, Thrawn is a Chiss which is an alien, a blue-skinned alien. So if it's going to be him, they're going to, I guess, change the role to be Maybe. human. Maybe. Or because he's wearing it's human something like, that, I, I mean, I've never seen what Thrawn looks like. Yeah. I just heard he always wears white. But yeah, apparently they're bringing Thrawn into Rebels, apparently, in the next season. That's, okay. that's kind of what people are saying. Like, oh, there's a... Because it was like, oh, we're bringing in a villain that people are going to love. And it's like, well, they already gave us Darth Maul. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Um, but since they already gave us Maul, who else could they give us? And people are thinking it's going to be Thrawn. Hmm. That'd be kind of cool. Um, also, we have this like weird kind of hooded figure that looks like it's gonna go converse with the emperor in like a throne room. Do you remember that part? I'm I'm thinking it's gonna be an inquisitor. Yeah, you know, I'm not like super cool with the idea of inquisitor. I know they're technically canon because of the rebel show. And technically, every time a inquisitor comes on, they get killed off. But I think that, I don't watch rebels. I don't. But either. I think they killed like three inquisitors in like five. I think Darth Vader killed like three inquisitors in five minutes. No. So it might be like the last inquisitor or. It might not be at all. I don't really care. The idea of more people running around with lightsabers cheapens it to me. Mm-hmm. I, I would be fine with Vader being the only enforcer. And, you know, they're going to save him for a later trailer probably. Oh, he'll, he'll be the in the full – he'll be the last part of the full trailer, I think. It's, he's going to be the yeah. Doomsday reveal. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Still created by Lex Luthor. Yeah. Um, what else did you like about the trailer, Kels? I don't know. I just liked I'm, – I'm excited. It got me excited for this movie, which – I mean, I'm I'm always about excited about new like Star Wars content, but I I I think it it kind of upped it even more for me. Like I was like, oh, that'll be cool. I like I'll definitely go see that. But now I'm like, I can't wait for this to come out. Like I want to go see it now. Do you think that people are going to be confused? Like non-hardcore Star Wars fans are going to be confused by the two different timelines? Because if I was watching this movie, no, visually it looks a lot like. Force Awakens, but like the stormtroopers are different. That's really the only thing I think you, that would you wanna, keep me off. You want to know what's there will be some people who are confused, but the second that they throw Darth Vader in that in the full trailer, people are gonna be like, "Oh, so this is from before." Yeah, you know what I mean. I don't like, know. People might be like, "Oh, Darth Vader's back." The thing that people need to remember is that the audience are not dumb. We're we're not we're not dumb. Well, you well. Know, well, no, we we we. <laughs> no, you're right. We I don't I'm know. Gen- babies. General, Sorry. general no. audience. I'm just though. saying. 
the audience is everyone's like the reason that we always got to see an origin story is because we got to explain our superhero i'm sorry my mom and my mom and dad i would not say that there are people i always go back to my mom and dad because they're not the people who sit there and have read every single batman comic that i have read or have watched every single episode of batman the animated series like me but my mom and dad can tell you batman or batman's parents were killed in an alley Uncle Ben was killed, and that's why Spider-Man's great responsibility. Like, they know these things. Yeah. Because they, they're they aware. Everyone who loves Star Wars, and even... Because I'm, I'm not a big Star Wars fan. I'm not. I'm, I, I like going to the movies, but I'm not someone huge. Honestly, I do a lot of my Star Wars research before the show, so I don't sound stupid talking with you, Ben and Kelsey. I, I, that's the truth. And I understand. Darth Vader's dead. He's dead. So if I'm seeing him, either it's a flashback... Or the movie takes place before he died. The Death Star. I would say... I can't even use this as an excuse because every every Star Wars has a Death Star something. But I would say the Death Star being in it would be another big hint, hint, hint that... I, I, that's my one complaint about this movie is we still haven't gotten a Star Wars movie that about doesn't, a goddamn that doesn't Death have Star. a Death Star. Like... I didn't even think about that until now, but Jesus! Yeah. I just watched the like realization, yeah. like, like I just it, saw, I saw like, like the form, light like flicker in your eyes, like, and Malachi, yeah. and then he immediately started like shifting around in his chair, like yeah. he was very uncomfortable. I'm sorry, but the Empire can't be that hard to beat if their one tool is six as a cylinder is a cylinder type thing that the rebels just are really good at blowing up. Six of the eight movies have a Death Star in them. If yeah, well yeah, because I forgot the prequel. Sorry, but. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> if That's they made so many. the Death Star, Death Star into a square, maybe they'd win a couple, a couple fights because like circle weapons aren't working for them. And it's just it's 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 like oh cool, there's a Death Star, they're stealing a dust. And another thing I think that's gonna hurt, kind of hurt this movie is we kind of know how it ends. I'm assume, I mean, I don't know how it's actually gonna end. My theory is they're all gonna be on Alderaan when it blows up. Like the big fight at the end of the movie is gonna be on Alderaan. And even though they got the Death Star plans. Or they, they were able to get them to, almost kind of like at the end of Halo Reach, where they get the Doctor on the ship and she flies away, and then the, the Spartans stay there and they fight to the death. I think that's going to be, I think by the end of this movie, every single person in this movie, including Felicity Jones, unless it's a huge hit, they might leave it kind of open-ended to, to do another like movie starring Felicity Jones. But I got a feeling by the end of this movie, every single character will be dead. And they're going to be cool. I, I like those kind of like, uh, I, I hope that kind of happens in Suicide Squad too, honestly. Yeah. They are a suicide squad. I, what are they? Some kind of suicide, suicide squad? Some kind of suicide squad? What is this? Some kind of suicide squad? Welcome to Earth. Wait. <laughs> some kind of suicide squad? What is this? Some kind of suicide squad? Can I actually use this as a segue to talk about something else that's what bothering me? What is this segue? Because Kelsey got her rant, and I'm going to get my rant. Okay, yeah, okay. sure. Internet voice back. You, yeah. You just heard me say that I didn't like Batman v Superman, okay? But there's something the internet's doing right now. Oh, Jesus. Here we go. That, that's upsetting me. <laughs> All these reports about oh suicide squad's doing all these research because all these reshoots because they heard that it, that like the f- only fun parts of the movie were in the trailer and they don't want it to be the only fun parts in the trailer so they went and spent all this money on research on reshoots and now this movie's going to suck okay every single movie has reshoots every single marvel movie made kevin Feige writes like a little cons- like a little asterisk thing at the bottom and says we are we're setting aside three weeks for reshoots. So even if you're off doing another movie, if we need to do a reshoot, you are legally minded to come back and film a reshoot. Yeah. Like it, it, it happens. It's now got this negative connota- like connotation around it that if they're doing a reshoot, this movie must suck. And that's not true. It might just be, yeah, hey, we went through, we watched it, and the angle that we picked for the scene really didn't work. 
we're just going to kind of, we're going to reshoot it from a different angle. Or, eh, we really didn't like this line, let's reshoot it and use a different line, okay? The, I'm, if you, I just can't believe that all the funny <laughs> lines were in the Suicide Squad trailer. I just don't. I really just can't believe. I find it yeah. really hard to believe. So all these people who are now dead set, and, and granted, DC and Warner Brothers did not do themselves any favor. No, certainly not. Um, but now everyone who was super up and positive about the Suicide Squad movie when the trailer came out, those same people are now like shitting on it because of all, all, all these reshoots. And... A report came out, and, and Jaya Courtney, Jaya frickin' Courtney, as I like to call Australia's him. Australia's best. Jaya frickin' Courtney came out and said, no, that was a misquote. We're not trying to make the movie funnier. We're making the movie funner. All the reshoots are action scenes because action scenes are fun. And we just wanted to add a little more action scenes and spot, reshoot some things to make it funner, not funnier. And, it, and just... What happened was some Yahoo probably got on the internet and was like, uh, I actually heard that this movie's going to suck because DC sucks and Warner Brothers sucks. So anything that they, they make sucks. And it just, it's getting to the point where I, I missed this trailer drop because I just shut off the internet because I'm so tired about hearing about Batman v Superman. I just want Captain America Winter Soldier to come out to make everyone <laughs> happy again. Like, seriously. Oh, me too. Next week, Doctor Strange's going to drop. Please, just let it be amazing so everyone will just shut up for a little bit and just be happy again. Why is everyone so angry all the time? I know. I don't get it. Well, end rant. Yeah, sorry. I just, the internet, right. the internet people upset it, me. It takes over. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Ben and his special guest. Stay tuned for that in a moment. But here is a word from our sponsor. Wake up in the morning and I go and get the paper. Gotta get the paper. Hey, guys, this episode of Raving Geeks has been sponsored by The Hall of Heroes. Located in Campus Court next to Subway, The Hall of Heroes is open six days a week, Monday through Saturday. Visit their website at www.hallofheroesllc.com and let the Hall of Heroes become your go-to comic book destination. My synopsis is real. Never had that old feel with cats who make waves and aptly get a 360 deal. Hey guys, we're back, and uh, as we said earlier, we have a special guest in the studio for this middle section. We have uh, Dr. Summers, Dr. and what's your, say your full name, sir? Joseph Michael Summers. Joseph Michael Summers. Dr. Summers is an English professor here, an associate English professor. He does all kinds of stuff, including uh, children's literature, but one of his big uh, claim to fame that we actually had on our radar is all of his comic book classes, and he teaches one of the graduate-level comic book classes, correct? Correct, sir. What's, what's a little bit about that uh, class? You can tell uh, us. It's, it's an all-purpose catch-all. It's comics and literary theory. The last time I did it here, it was comics and graphic novels with Bakhtinian theory, which is a fancy-schmancy term for probably nothing anyone cares about except for me. A lot of narratology, a lot of neat stuff like that, but you know, the main thing that was the pull for everyone is it's, it's hardcore lit theory, uh, and we applied it to the medium of comics uh, and graphic novels, which just absolutely went over like gangbusters. I've done the same thing without the theory uh, over in honors a couple times, turning one of them into a study abroad where we did the comics of London, 
uh, and Great Britain, but mostly London. But yeah, I guess I'm one of the comics folks around here. I know I'm one of the comics folks around here. I'm known that. So not only is he one of the comic folks around here, but compared to us and our geeky, uh, geeky hole away in uh, Moore Hall, he's one of the preeminent minds of what works in comics, what doesn't work in comics, and especially as a subject as we've been kind of throwing around a lot and fighting a lot about here on the Raven Geeks. When an adaptation of a book works on a movie, when it does not. And I reached out to Dr. Summers specifically just to get his, uh, to pick his mind about that because I thought it was interesting and I figured he'd say a lot. So before we begin, yeah. I got to ask, all right, you, you're a scholar, you're a professor, you're a critic. You said you were an ex-journalist as well, too. I'm and a nerd, I'm a fan, I'm a geek, and I'm proud of it. Big time fan. So when you go to see one of these movies, yeah. any one of them, what hat do you wear when you do it? All of them. I mean, if you've ever seen the number of hats I wear, I'm one of the hat profs on here. I, I've got... He's wearing a hat right now, by the way. Uh, yeah, I, no, I mean, uh, my latest hat is from The Blacklist, a beautiful Stetson from Red Reddington. I'm, I'm, I'm big on hats. I wear them all. Uh, I have to. I, it doesn't turn off. Uh, I think it's actually one of the big misconceptions people have about critics, uh, critics and criticism in general is that we are not fans, but no, we, we totes are. Now, there is some mutual exclusivity in some cases. Some folks, of course, go in and they just do it because it's their job, but a lot of us are huge fans because this is our lives. This is, comics have been part of my life since I was six years old and I'm going to be 40 this year. I mean, that's a big chunk of my life. Or the way I like to put it is really simple. I get paid to do what I would do for free anywhere else. And I'm not asking to have my wages lowered in any way, shape, or form. I'm just saying that, realistically speaking, this is this has been always part of my life. And, I mean, when I was a kid, you know, going way back into the 80s, you know, I remember reading in Stan's soapbox, Stan Lee's soapbox, about the, the first movements to get Spider-Man adapted. And I lost my mind. I'm like... Ugh. You can't literally see me, my face going, you know, but it's my, literally it's my, oh, I mean, finish that thought face. <laughs> and, um, you know, I watched that development through the Cameron, you know, period, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, get, you know, put in development hell and whatnot and finally come out on the Sam Raimi side. And when that did come out, and that was a long time later, I, I, I lost my mind. I'm, I'm looking at it going, <gasps> and I was, you know, at that point probably around 25 four-ish, somewhere about that, but I was, you know, 12 years old again in a theater, and I was wrapped. It wasn't even a perfect movie by any means of the imagination. Gravity and physics weren't, you know, <laughs> really anything they cared about with VFX at that point in time, but I'm watching this, and I'm like, <gasps> and of course, then you look at the Power Ranger Green Goblin suit, and I'm like, oh, especially when you looked at what they were really going to use. Like, no, why didn't she use that suit? Oh my god, that is the thing we wanted to see, not... Not whatever that no no but that was it was fine because Doc Ock came later and then you're like yo God it was just a it was absolutely glorious for everybody but by the same token I was looking at that going eh, everything Roger Ebert said is right this is almost perfect but not so you have all these dueling influences on your mind when you're doing this so and you kind of synthesize this argument a little bit for yourself but yeah. does that help or hurt? a movie when you're going to see it. Obviously, you're going to go see a movie because you're, you're interested in the entertainment value, sure. but you're very closely tied by fandom to respect for these characters, whether this is going to work. Does it help or hurt? Uh, neither. Uh, actually, uh, it, it's just me. It's who I've always been. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I, I used to be a journalist. I used to be a movie critic. Um, very big used to on a very long time ago. So 
I've always been kind of curmudgeonly when it comes down to quality issues. I mean, I, I notice too much, and I mean, you could say I'm OCD. I just pretend to say that I'm critical. Um, it's it's just who I am. It's how I am. It, I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, Schneider did Watchmen, and Watchmen, I mean, one of my first books on Alan Moore, and Watchmen, of course, is by way of Alan Moore, the thing he's relatively popularly known for. and. I looked at that and I wanted to love it. I wanted to love it. I wanted to sit there for four hours. I own all the cuts, including the ultimate cut that has the cartoon you know, placed in so that we can kind of see it the way it is. And I'll never forgive, uh, and it's not his fault, but I'll never forgive Schneider for cutting out the squid. And I know it's it's a fifth dimensional being, but it's the squid. I mean, they even labeled it as squid on the uh, Project, control panel. Project squid, right. that's what it says. Yeah. So, I mean, it's uh, like, no. That that's that's the that's the through line for the whole book. That that's that's how that book works. Comedian notices the squid, and it no. I mean, for every for every single thing he did perfectly, I'm like, no, put put that god awful thing back in. I mean, it, in every other script, in the Gilliam script, in the Greengrass script, all of them they had some concept of the squid, and it was cut up because it seemed too silly. And I'm like, no, comics are silly. Comics are necessarily silly. Moore did Watchmen because they wouldn't give him access to the Charlton verse, so that he had to go and create ostensibly Charlton figures, mm-hmm. and he kept all of those great, great moments, including something kind of just tied in to that whole concept. I mean, if we can swallow Pacific Rim and Gaiju and whatnot, we can certainly you know deal with a giant squid that destroys Manhattan. And no, it's like we're going to see Doctor Manhattan in all of his glory, but we can't live with seeing you know. A squid? I was like, no. And so, I mean, I'm loving this thing. I'm loving them. I know it's not there, but I'm hoping there's going to be something else. And yes, there was devastation. Yes, there was all that. But it was there. It was. I saw it opening night. It was, I believe, the 10-year anniversary to my wife, actually. And I left, and she's like, well, you took me to a comics movie on our anniversary. Did you like it? And I thought... No, Kinda. No, I didn't. No, 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 no. Don't get me wrong. Sure. I, I 85% loved that movie. Um, and it just is like no, go the full, go the full way, go all, go all ten years, not just nine. But that detail mattered to me. I still love that movie. I adore it. Um, I, I unapologetically enjoy it. I even like uh, Jared Way and Company redoing Bob Dylan at the end. In fact, that that song is perpetually on my playlist. I don't care that you know you're completely stripping it of what it's supposed to do in that moment. In those credits, it was just money. And that brings up the biggest point and the biggest theme of all this. I asked, yeah, you, yeah, that, yeah. I asked you that to get a baseline, right? To, sure. see, to see how someone like you thinks as opposed to someone who, like me or Malachi or Tyler, who are yeah. not with us in the studio right now. But if you go back and listen to some of our episodes, you kind of get a, a good idea of, oh, of yeah. how we should view these these mediums, right? And you look back on the last 10, 15 years, you know, starting from the X-Men and you know the Spider-Man thing sure, sure, sure. to the big boom in 2008 and what kind of set this off now. Yeah. We've had really good ones, we've had really great ones, and yes. we've had our damn fair share of awful Oops. ones, right? <laughs> so it's, it is kind of the golden age. Nicholas Cage, you can check in. The biggest thing I think that you can synthesize from what you just said is yeah. there's, there's a sense of we should take liberties to some degree to tell a really good story on film. It's impossible not to. However, when there's that strict of adherence, things get a little muddled up. And oh, you, God, And you yes. brought up Snyder's Watchmen, and I think that's a really good example, especially when you compare it to something like that just could come out, like Batman versus Superman. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, we got to talk about that. I mean, there's this idea of fidelity to the source material. Mm-hmm. 
And here's the problem with that. Uh, some things render much better medium to medium. Comics are an inherently visual medium. Uh, Scott McCloud talks about in his seminal book, uh, Understanding Comics, the idea that film ostensibly, if you if, take away the digital aspect, go back to old-fashioned film, you know, pictures on little squares, is basically comics slowed down to the point where you're just looking at them, you know, at frames per second, depending on what you're shooting at. It kind of, sort of, should translate remarkably well, but when you go from something that you can read, when you go from usually an episodic sort of construction where you read it something twice monthly, once monthly, etc., like that, there are different constructs of how time works. There's different constructs of what you can see. There's different concepts of how the imagination works. What you can do in a comic, you can't necessarily do in film. And when you try, I'll give you the best example of a film that was tried to being slavishly faithful on one end and also acknowledging we don't have the technology for it on the other, Ang Lee's Hulk. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Visually, he went and tried to do something impossible. He tried to make a comic work in a filmic uh, medium while making adjustments to what we believe to be the absorbing man through um, Nick Nolte's performance and uh, all that other stuff and trying to do some semblance to a little bit of revisionist history. But a lot of film critics adored what he was trying to do as a movie maker. Comics fans looked at it and said, oh, what is this? I mean, what I this this isn't the Hulk. This isn't no. We don't know. I mean, there was a great disconnect there, not like BVS, but more along the lines of this is just not what a comic film should look like. Mm -hmm. And you extrapolate from that, and you go and say, where did this not go right? Okay, Marvel redoes it same summer as Iron Man comes out with Incredible Hulk. So they say, okay, we're gonna be a little bit more fan friendly. We'll get Louis Leterrier. He's not the most incredible director, but he's a good director, good action director. We'll get, you know, an actor who will also be a writer, kind of, to kind of do it. So what does he do? He doesn't throw out Hulk. He basically says for the Incredible Hulk, let's kind of lean into that in a sort of a background kind of way, but let's also lean into the thing people love. We'll do Which is the, Hulk smashing things. Not just that, but the TV show. They 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 not they can't go and do the gamma ray bomb testing. They gotta do the more kind of TV version of it, because that's the one people know and loved. Mm -hmm. And they took a little bit of that and they said, we'll also kinda lean into this universe we're building here and we'll do a very, very what you know, at the time was gonna be the MCU kind of thing. A bit better in some ends and a bit worse in others, but if that thing was talk about your creative company problems, that didn't work so much either. Then they finally said, you know what? whatever, let's just do the Hulk as the Hulk and you have Avengers come out and you don't worry about any of that nonsense and you get Hulk smash. Yeah, absolutely. And boom. And so that's the logical conclusion. But there's interesting things at play right there, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not just comic adherence. It's not what the books have had for years and years. It's about perceptions of the character oh, for yeah. people in pop culture. You brought up the fact that they pretty much adapted some elements of the Hulk TV show, oh, right? Yeah. Um, when you look at whether an adaptation works or not, especially when looking at something like the Marvel Universe, sure. right? They may not be cookie cutter direct from the book, but they're archetypes almost as of what people expect from those characters. Yeah. Specifically Chris Evans and Captain America. Oh, sure. I mean, it, it, it's funny. Okay, this is where comics and movies don't work. 
let's just work with Marvel, and then we'll go and show where it becomes a much bigger problem with DC. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Stan Lee in the Silver Age reinvents the media more or less by saying we're not going to work with, and I know people don't like to say that DC are gods and uh, Marvel are demigods, but let's just work with that idea. Mm -hmm. We're, we're going to work with science fiction. Lovely. It, it hits the time. We're going to young up the characters. We're going to give them adolescent struggles. We're going to do all that stuff. That's fantastic. Okay, those things are timeless. What is less timeless is the fact that when you're dealing with something that came out in the 60s, in the 2010s, you're dealing with 50-plus years of continuity. And it's not all continuous. Those things, time in comics ages very slowly by concept with the rest of real time, the time we live in. So you can't take all of that heft of time and get something perfectly consistent. So, okay, you try and do the Punisher in any of the three incarnations that they've tried to make happen. First time, they don't even acknowledge. That's the Dolph Lundgren version. It's just Dolph Lundgren putting a guy on, you know, something pulling him apart, whatever. You try and do it with the... Um, can't remember his name now. Uh, Thomas Jane. Thank you, with John Travolta and whatnot. You keep the basic attributes of it, but, you know, family slaughtered, whatnot, but you, you don't put him in Vietnam because that won't work anymore. He'd be too old. In the most recent version, they just basically said he was in a war, his family was cut down, and that's what works. They keep the basic, you know, beats of the character, but they have to necessarily level up or time up to be consistent with right now, otherwise these cats would be too old. It didn't even work in the comics. When Reminder gets a hold of the character right before Frank and Castle, you go and see that they're acknowledging Frank should be really old, so they have Dak and cut him to pieces, and then Morbius resurrects him as Frank and Castle, and one of the great moments of finally saying, oh, that, this is so bad, it's wonderful. <laughs> the payoff. And then, you know, Elsa Bloodstone, or puts the Bloodstone into him to repair him, and what you basically get is de-aged, young vibrant version of uh, Punisher, not throwing out any of continuity, but more or less basically saying he's young again. And they did the same thing after Secret Wars. They basically had you know the Fantastic Four going and remaking the universe that got oopsed and more or less keeping it right but also making things work. And right now what they're doing with uh, whatever they're going to call it uh, it's, it's being all scrambled together. Uh, you see it playing out in, uh, in uh, Ewing's Ultimates a lot, is that there are different folds of the universe so that things have always, ha as have always happened. You know, w some of the things that are really, really timely, no pun intended, uh, still work because they always have. It's just the way the universe gets funky, and that they're playing into that science fiction aspect. When you get to DC, you know, they've got a continuity that's 25-plus years old. They go straight into the golden years. And that's where things get really, really, really hard. Because, number one, a lot of people don't remember that, okay, originally, you, you want to hate on Jesse uh, Eisenberg's construction because Lex Luthor doesn't have hair. Actually, yes, he does. He, yes, he initially had hair, and then there was an oops where one of the artists forgot to draw it in, so they retconned that back to make it so that, yeah, Superman kind of caused that. Don't worry about that red hair. And, of course, that plays out with different Earth versions of Alexander Luther and whatnot. And when you were a kid, you saw that in the Super Friends version. Yeah, of too. course. So. And you saw it, of course, in you know, the, what it really is. I mean, if we're going to talk about where the iconography of Superman comes from, let's take it right back to the movies that really made it. It's the Donner cut mm -hmm. of, of Superman 1 and Superman 2. Uh, and, of course, we, that's a different set of problems. But, yeah, I mean, that's real estate, Lex Luthor. But that's the thing. It was mad scientist Lex Luthor. Then it was, you know, real estate Lex Luthor. Then it was businessman Lex Luthor. Then it was, you know, politician President, President Lex, Lex Luthor. Luthor. Yeah. Lex Luthor always takes on the biggest baddie of the time. 
So when people go out and say Jesse Eisenberg is a ridiculous um, Lex Luthor, I'm not even saying joke, I'm getting, thinking or talking faster than I'm thinking, but um, when you look at that, no, actually, if you think about it, who's the biggest, baddest baddie that we have? It's the internet, social media, dot com, super multimillionaire that kind of has all those ticks to it. They've just given you a Lex Luthor for this time period, which actually makes perfect sense, which is an imperfect movie, and I'm not going to in any way, shape, or form for, you know, forgive that movie for a lot of things, mm-hmm. but that Lex Luthor actually makes sense and is consistent with how Lex Luthor has transformed over 80 years. Well, it's interesting, too, because you bring up the fact of adapting for time, yeah. not necessarily for, you know, truth to the theatrical book. Um, we've actually had Michael from Hall of Heroes on here a couple sure. of times, and we've talked to him pretty extensively about just adapting Superman even in the books, right? Is that you've got a character who's 77 years old, right? right. Who has been through so many different phases to try to update and reinvent himself. He's sure. like the, almost like the Madonna of, of superhero characters, right? Oh, don't do that. Man. I know, That's right? Hard. Yeah. Now, now Summer's <laughs> just going to cry. Um, what I mean, though, is that he's had to change what he is of course. thematically so many different times. Sure. Is that a lot of people get lost in the struggle. I, I noticed that when looking at Batman vs. Superman, one of the bigger splits that I see in a lot of people is people with a post-crisis mentality versus a pre-crisis mentality, but also not kind of getting over the fact that that post-crisis era has changed and made these characters much darker than what I think that they actually wanted them to be. Well, I mean, in, when you look at that, there's, I mean, post-crisis is a weird thing because crisis begins with Flash and, uh, what you call it, um, Earth 2 Flash, mm-hmm. as you're seeing playing on uh, WB TV. Um, and then, of course, Crisis on Infinite Earth was something that Perez and Wolfman wanted to do to celebrate the company. But the problem where things get really, you know, dealing with this time problem, which is what they were really doing, mm-hmm. is that every time they tried to fix something, they created a, a more problems for it. So, okay, uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths begets Zero Hour, begets Infinite Crisis, begets Final Crisis, begets you know, new uh, flashpoint to the new 52 to DCU, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And what you keep having is these multiple constructs of Superman, which become completely incongruent and fans are going like, I mean, you can't see me lifting up my arms going, what? But that's exactly what I'm doing right now. Yeah. So different generations are going to have different concepts of the single character. And of course, Superman is the most iconic American superhero, I think I can say, and it, it's going to lean back and forth with Batman a lot, but, you know, truth, justice, and the American way is something that's almost ingrained into our minds, um, that when you look at it, realistically speaking, there's always been different Supermans. I mean, people don't remember that. Okay, check it out. There was a time when, you know, they were trying to up Superman's powers from, you know, not just the original concept where he can, you know, had the strength of 100 men and he could leap over a tall building, but he couldn't fly, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Those are all add-ons later on. Well, at one point, he could shoot, like, rainbows out of his hands and little micro-baby versions of himself. That was a thing they did, and then they did away with because... That was silly. Yeah, he was shooting little baby versions of himself out, and this wasn't a Mitzelplikian sort of thing. Yeah. This was a power they gave him. Absolutely. And you, you, there are certain things you just don't want. I look at the Superman that they put up there, and I go and say this. Essentially speaking, there's nothing inherently wrong with Henry Cavill's performance but they haven't given him anything to do. They haven't given him anything to say. They haven't given him any Superman moments. They did the same thing uh, with the Singer version of it. They gave they, they were a, a horrible fidelity to the Donner films, 
even casting a lookalike to make it work, and then you didn't let him be Superman. What made Christopher Reeve iconic was that he made that character his own. The same way whether you love Batman 69 or hate the kitschy value of it, I love it. Adam West made Batman that. Whether you love the Michael Keaton version or hate the Michael Keaton version, he made it Batman. And if you hate that Michael Keaton version, just remember that Paul Dini version you love so much, that faithless, that Batman animated universe, that DC animated universe that came out of it, that all came because Dini and Oslin went and said, let's extrapolate upon this, go with the best interests of the old Batman and create that. That is all Keaton, that is all Tim Burton, and that is what they derived from it, and all those great years of animation came from it. Mm-hmm. So what they've done with Superman in the past 15 or so years, they've been living under that onus of those great, those two great Donner movies, one, one and three quarters Donner movies, and they've been trying to find a Superman that works, but they haven't settled on what it is. And as such, they haven't given him anything to do, yeah. which is not fair to Henry Cavill. And, of course, he does himself no favors in you know, talking to the press, but he really has never been given a chance to do much. And, in fact, what they've given him, oops, excuse me, uh, what they've given him to work with seems remarkably incongruent. And why is because look at what they're adapting in. They drop Injustice. They drop uh, Death of Superman. They drop... Um, the Dark Knight Returns, they drop Trinity, they drop, I'm not thinking of the Superman uh, books that they're inputting in there, and to a certain extent, Superman for all seasons, they drop all of these things in there, they have all this brought to bear, and then they don't let him say anything. Mm. So you have all this backlog of information trying to make everyone happy, and yet he doesn't get to do much. And I'd argue, too, that those representations of Superman, unlike Batman, in that case, with the Dark Knight Returns, I mean, Affleck, say what you will about Affleck, I mean, he he is Frank Miller's Batman on screen. Oh, he hit it. You know, totally hit it. But, you know, with, with Superman, those are books that don't really kind of capture the initial, what people know, quality about Superman, especially in Dark Knight Returns. You know, he's a villain, and he's a stooge for the U.S. government, which is something never attached to Superman. He's always working. I mean, of course, there's truth, justice, American way, but he's always working in the best interest of everyone. In, well, I, I can argue with you about that because the Superman has one thing going for him. The reason why Superman and Batman are always at ideological opposites, they're not that ideologically mm-hmm. opposite, actually, if we're going to be truthful here. The difference is, is that they wrote Superman as endorsed by, not necessarily condoned, but kind of condoned by the U.S. government. He literally is somebody that yeah, he fights on the side of the U.S. and literally had his catchphrase, you know, tied into that. Batman's a vigilante, always has been. That's the best part about him. He doesn't subvert the law. He compliments it, but he's never really officially endorsed. He's he's the guy that works in the shadows, where a Superman could be flying around town and no one has is put off by it. He's the one really big mega superhero in the pantheon that literally can be called on by the government to get help out when possible. And uh, it works. What happens, I mean, for BVS, to be honest with you, the biggest problem I have there is that there is no reason for these two guys to actually dislike each other that much. If you adapt The Dark Knight Returns, you have to buy into the idea that you're dealing with a Superman and a Batman that have known each other for at least 20-ish plus years. Now, Clark Kent has known of the Batman, but they haven't known each other intimately. That's what Miller brings to bear on that, is that, you know, he shows a gruff old Batman that just is intransigent about how he does what he does, and, you know, Clark is still somewhat idyllic. I mean, he's still young, he's still very pretty. The first money shot of him is literally, by Frank Miller, is him with that shirt open looking... With an eagle. With an eagle and and smelling Uh, this beautiful flower and whatnot, and... 
you know, you know, uh, Miller's Batman's looking at him like, are you, are you kidding me? I mean, you're still looking like this, and it, it, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's kind of what Miller does at his high point is he puts these ideas into play. But BVS Batman and uh, Superman have literally just been introduced to each other. It doesn't help when he Cavill's made to say things like, "I could kill you." Like, okay, so let's pull back on that one for your big speech moment. Um, you, 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 you're Superman. Sure, we're, we're you know gazing in on your conversation, and we don't always get to do that. But you know, maybe less on the ilk, more on the you know, stop it. Don't make me stop you. That's that's what we want. We don't want you to be the bad guy here. We don't want Batman to be the bad guy here. We want to see people with different ideological points of view have to come to blows not and not be rectified by the fact that, yeah, um, okay, so you both have a mother that shares the same name. That 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 is that that's a, that's a, a stepbrother's moment of reconciliation. Like, you know, did we just become best friends? And yeah, that, we did. And, and all the and all the memes are are showing just that too, right? It's so. almost like they pulled it straight out. It's 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 one of those things. I mean, I'm not, I'm not gonna knock BVS. It's 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 a movie that's. I'm I'm very interested. I mean, if uh, if you follow heroic uh, Hollywood, if you follow um, Umberto Gonzalez, he uh, broke uh, just yesterday that that they're really strongly considering putting out the three-hour cut in theaters. And part of me, I mean, part of me is troubled because they're thinking of putting it in theaters at the same time they're going to release it at home, which, from a marketing point, doesn't make a lot of sense. But okay. I'm wondering, in that attempt to hit that two-and-a-half-hour mark, if there's a print of Batman versus Superman. And bear in mind, that's an idea that goes all the way back to when they're trying to figure out what to do after um, the Schumacher uh, disemboweling of Batman and, of course, trying to find the next Christopher Reeve going way back. Uh, and Wolfgang Peterson was attached, uh, as was J.J. Um, Abrams, to do Superman Flyby. Um, and there was literally a memo that says something along the lines of BVS, Batman versus Superman, is when you do when you have no ideas left but you need to do something. And they didn't do it then, but they chose to do it now to jumpstart their own DC uh, movie-verse. And you just have to wonder if there's if that print maybe is something that really shows us a lot more, or if maybe those cuts still don't necessitate the fact that Chris Terrio and David Goyer couldn't pull out a cohesive script that the studio wanted to create a universe. And, and you're talking about one of the guys who helped jumpstart. I mean, you have the Batman, the Dark Knight trilogy, right? Yeah. Which is one of probably one of the centerpieces oh, of, yes. of any comic book movie universe, right? And then you got Terrio, right? Who is an Academy Award winning screenwriter, right? And, and who knows comics and who knows how to make a movie very, very well. And he still can't pull it together. And you know, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here on Batman vs. Oh, Superman. Yeah. And we, we I think we've get into it. Naturally, I want to have you on here to, sure. to continue to argue with us because we've actually done some degree of, of social media battle, which I constantly lose because the man's an expert and I'm a raving geek. So that is what it is. But what I will say is this, that you're, you're kind of pointing to is that if you're going to adapt don't have these tableaus from the actual comic in itself. Give them some humanity and room to breathe as humans do. I'll tell you my honest opinion. While I liked the first hour of the movie a lot, mm -hmm. the first hour of the movie is a big apologia to Man of Steel. It's literally trying to justify and say to folks that said Superman would never do this. I hope you can pick up that quiet on that one. But I said Superman would never do this, and my response is, is that you know, he might actually, mm -hmm. um, to be completely frank, if he's just becoming Superman and he doesn't know what he's doing, he, admittedly, you don't like to kill uh, in front of children, but by the same token, you don't like to see them vaporized either. 
Um, could he have done something else? Yes, he probably could have if it's brought to bear that there's 70-plus years of Superman history. That Superman had been Superman for about mm, a cup of coffee and a bagel, and he probably didn't have the capacity with which to figure out what to do with Zod, and you know what makes sense when a family's about to get literally incinerated? You're going to snap a neck. I mean, You're when people ask neck. me what I would do you know, if my family was threatened— you know, you try to think, oh, I'd be tactical. No, I wouldn't. I'd protect my family in any way, shape, or form. And he's protecting a family. And I can forgive that. I really, really, truly can. The problems with Man of Steel have nothing to do with that moment. Um, you know what? He's not completely in control of his powers. Uh, and he's trying to stop. He's trying to stop someone that's literally going to go and destroy the Earth. I mean, the uh, the Earth, uh, I can't think of what that thing was called now. The big machine from which we now get kryptonite. Yeah, um, the world engine. The world engine, thank you. It's uh, literally ripping the planet apart. Uh, you have to do something relatively quickly. In that moment, I don't have a problem with Superman. I have a problem with the creation of the script, but that's the script they were given. But the first hour of BBS literally is trying to forgive and revisit that. When people, uh, per that title, which is one of the clumsiest titles in the history of movies, B Batman, not versus V, not even V period, V Superman, colon, the Dawn of Justice. Uh, not even the, just Dawn of Justice, to which people are like, come again? Um, how many things are you trying to shove in here? You know, and that's another interesting point, too, is that um, one of the main criticisms I've heard about this movie, and it's something that maybe Civil War might benefit from, sure. right, is that this, the convoluted nature of the script of shoving all these different adaptations oh, yeah. of books into one thing, which is very interesting, right? Because you were talking about just the universe earlier, right, in, in the comic books. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Comic book fans are used to heavily convoluted stories. Absolutely. Heavily convoluted, you know, universes not making sense sometimes. Sometimes you need an event to kind of pull it all together. But for the most part, we accept it for what it is. Oh, yeah. So what's the disconnect, right, of a big comic book fan willing to accept that in his beloved or her beloved comic books and then seeing it on screen and being like, this is a POS? I can actually address that really easily. And it, it pains to say it, but it actually makes perfect common sense. Mm -hmm. Comic book fans, myself included, feel that there's a sense of entitlement because they're the people that buy comics, they're the people that buy the video games. It's the our people. story. It's literally our stuff. We, the, we are the people that keep the medium alive. The problem that you run into with movies that spend 250 to $400 million to put forth two and a half hours on the screen is... And sadly, as Batman vs. Superman learned within its second week, was that you can't build something at that level of expense to a very small quadrant of moviegoers. Even if they go, even if the comic base goes and sees a movie two, three, four times. And I saw it four times. So you, but you need that crossover four quadrant appeal. That's where Marvel and Disney quality control comes in. You need to have that thing constructed for the layperson so that they can come in and. and embrace it as well. The comic fan, the rabid comic fan says, I don't need this movie to, to spell it out. I mean, if you're a comic fan, you should understand the multiverse. You should understand injustice. You should understand all this transmedial stuff between how all this plays. Unfortunately, the fan that's only familiar with the Donner movies or maybe Smallville or a casual history of Superman through an occasionally bought comic, it, it's, it's just they can't get through it. They don't understand it. I mean, I'm imagining when folks that saw Flash probably boom tubing into a vision saw that, were wondering, 
what what the what the hell is this? My dad didn't even know it was Flash. He had to ask. Because he's all armored up, right? Yeah, sure. And because um, Mother Box technology works different than and, and what's weird because Flash, of course, can literally run through time and make perfect sense of it, which would have worked a lot better. But they boomed him and stuff. And or that presumably, I mean, it would make more sense since you you have the Mother Boxes shown in a few different areas, and you look at that and you go and say. You can't spend that much money, and I've got a perfect uh, uh, example of this for you, and not expect to have problems with it. Which brings us to Deadpool. Mm-hmm. Took nine years to get that thing done right, and literally two or three guys le- leaking the, the footage to force folks into making that film. And here's the cool thing. Tom Rothman hated a lot of the X stuff. He's the reason why, for the most part, you see them wearing black leather for the most part, and you can't get Sentinels. He held that up. Then Tom Rothman leaves it. If you've seen the um, the YouTube clip, the leak, right at the end, uh, Ryan Reynolds goes, Hi, Tom! And that's who he's talking about, because he wants to get this movie made before he gets too old. Mm-hmm. So they finally get it leaked. It goes nuts. Comic-Con loses its mind, and they get greenlit for it. And that they had to change it because so much time had passed between it, the four years of when that happened and when it actually was done. Okay, beautiful. That thing is so faithful, and it still has some things that aren't there. There's no Weapon X named. Ajax is there instead of the Doctor, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They've got to bring in Negasonic Teenage Warhead, which is, I mean, there's the D list, and then there's the folks that don't get an alphabet letter list, and that's where she was. Mm-hmm. And they reinvent her as a new mutant, and it's... It's faithful to a level that we haven't really seen in comic book adaptations. It's dirty. It's funny. It's deconstructive. It's everything that Deadpool is, mm-hmm. and it goes through the rough. What the, the difference we're going to talk about here is the fact that BVS, a movie that might have cost between 250 and 400 total between production and P&A, might make domestically less than a movie that cost $57 million dollars. And that's where it comes down to making your adaptation. If you adapt it, being faithful with a degree of fidelity, but make it accessible to folks that generally don't understand it, you can have your cake, you can eat it too, and you can start a bakery. And Deadpool ostensibly gave the X-Verse now more or less an opportunity to print money. They're worried about how Apocalypse is going to be received. And I mean the movie, not just the central figure by Oscar Isaac. Because... They were still working in that more, well, keep it with the universe, even though we kind of erased the oops of X3 mm-hmm. with uh, Days of Future Past. But they're a little bit worried because Deadpool more or less restated the game, not with the R rating, but with its faithfulness to the character construct. And they should be worried because Tim Miller just literally said, hey, now everything changes because you let me actually make a comic book movie mm-hmm. for everybody and at it's inter- R. It's interesting, too, because you take that, that what seems on the surface of what makes it faithful, right, that it is that it is dirty, that it is, you know, it's kind of grimy, it's, yeah, it's, it's vulgar, it's Deadpool, <laughs> it's 100% Deadpool. But I think a lot of people misconstrued that dark tone as something that people liked out about that movie, yeah. aside from what it meant with the actual character. And it's not even a darkened tone, mm-hmm. it's just, it's proper R. Uh, it's R for reasons that are appropriate for R. It's got massive violence, it's got exit wounds, it's got F-bombs, it's got things if you haven't seen it I, I don't know who you are if you haven't seen yeah, it this podcast it, yeah, yeah. but I mean it's got I mean it, it's not even Wade Wilson as he is right now it's more of the like the classic Kelly sort of you know Wade Wilson and that's great that's who we love I mean the new Wade Wilson's great as well but I mean Wade Wool uh, Wade Wool Wade Pool Wade Wilson has become <laughs> this cottage industry just for both for Marvel and for of course now 20th Century Fox who are saying 
how much more can we do from this? And Miller's like, um, well, there's X-Force, there's more Deadpool, there's the new mutants, there's all these things, you know, the stuff that we've been trying to put on the screen forever. And uh, yeah, that's all there. You own that. Interestingly enough, Deadpool wasn't originally part of that original Fox package. It was something that they kind of acquired on the side and shafted into Gavin Hood's movie to which he's like, what am I supposed to? All right, fine. And that was the thing that more or less saved X, uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine, that beautiful title. Um, and more or less, you know, people came looking to see that. And that's that 10 minutes on film total, it's Darth Vader-esque to a certain degree, of <laughs> being destroyed literally nine-plus years later afterwards turns into the biggest true money earner so far of this year. I mean, when you look at a, a movie, you have to understand that the production cost... Whatever that was, the movie has to make at least two to three times, depending on the P&A, to break even before DVD and merchandising and all that. Okay, so globally right now, Deadpool's at somewhere north of $760 million. That movie cost $57 million. I'm an English person, not a math person. Do the multiples on that. That's just all profit. After $160-ish million, everything at that point, so almost $600 million sheer profit before the merchandising and the toys... And the Which video is funny games. to say the least, too, because you're merchandising a character that's that's so well known for just rampant vulgarity to to kids, and it always has been that way too. He's cartoonish. He's he's yeah. he's literally Looney Tunes. It's it's fantastic. He's pansexual. He's cursing. He's doing all that. All these things that are hot button topics. He's Bugs Bunny in a red suit. And it absolutely goes right back to those old fashioned Tex Avery cartoons. You look at and go and say, okay, it's Bugs Bunny with a machine gun. Oh my goodness, that. That's that's a thing we can do. When people attack BVS for having um, uh, like toys, planes, uh, that, that um, Batmobile, which is sweet, um, as a, a something kids can play with, my immediate response is is that uh, Deadpool. No one's been apologizing about that forever. There's nothing wrong with the, having that marketing cash in. I mean, it's just the fact that it wasn't as well received. Deadpool, I think, had about an 82% critical aggregate of approval, which for an R-rated movie about a dude in a red suit is insane, unless it's Bad Santa or something like that. It's just Deadpool changed so many games that it made my, my hopes and dreams of the future of comics adaptation even brighter because now studios are saying, Okay, let me get this right. We can put out a movie that's not that expensive, but is faithful, and audiences will eat it up. And everyone more or less does a quiet head nod like this and says, can we have a little bit more money now? Can we do cable? Can we, you know, please have something like this? And everyone's getting excited about it again. Where it goes south on me is, again, where I, I don't want to knock on the WB, and I want to make very perfectly clear, I am not knocking on the DCverse. I love DC Comics. I have a great relationship with the folks at DC. They are good, good people and great creators. They're nice, nice folks that do quality work. The WB ordered three and a half weeks of reshoots on Suicide Squad. Which three and a half weeks is a lot. Mind-blowing. Considering that the, what, the movie comes out in August, right? So yeah. A couple of months. And David Ayer is a very, very, very good director who worked with what they said, put forth a vision. I think we're supposed to get another uh, Suicide Squad trailer drop very, very soon. Um, and it probably was a very cohesive product with a beautiful marketing campaign that just works. Even when they dropped the Joker in... Whatever exactly Jared Leto's doing, I want to love that, but I can't get past that. The only thing I can't get past is that head tattoo and the damage tattoo. Yeah, Joker doesn't do that uh, ever. Uh, that's just not characters with his personality. I'm 
gonna hope that's never explained and hopefully he'll put makeup on because that's something that we actually do see in the dark knight rises is he does add makeup to himself and maybe that goes away nevertheless um they're gonna reshoot it to uh per captain boomerang or to see more action but i'm kind of betting we're going to see a little bit more humor interjected in there as well which okay so it begs the question is is like so studio intervention obviously in in the degree that disney and marvel does right you mentioned a quality control aspect of saying listen we respect that you want to do this big fan breakout but kids got to still see this families got to still see this they still have to get it right when you have a studio that does that after the fact right it's not always a disaster and sometimes it's actually a good thing but this is this is pretty certainly extreme not just extreme it 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 seems like someone's now saying oh maybe our best laid plans were laid a bit too quickly um i'll give you a a good example when the creative committee from uh, marvel was yanked because um we won't name names but the folks that were messing with kevin feige who is pretty much why the Marvelverse is so coherent. Well, he's, like the, he's like the Bendis of the cinematic universe. Right? Uh, well, that's the problem. Bendis was on the creative committee mm-hmm. along with Ike and whatnot, and um, they were kind of mucking up the works. People wonder, how did Iron Man 2 happen? Because Iron Man 2 is a close equivalent, but better than BVS. Mm-hmm. It's because they wanted to make a, a universe happen fast, so they... Yank and you know they know a sale to Disney is coming, so they're going to yank Demon in the Bottle out, which is still kind of present, but in some sort of weird technological kind of way. You get your bad guy and you say throw him in an iron suit as well. It worked the first time, and people are like, ah, no. Now Disney steps in and says, Kevin Feige tells us that you're kind of harsh in his vibe and making things really difficult. So. No, you don't get to play with the movies anymore. You can play with TV until you do something horrible and problematic. For example, if we don't see the Defenders in uh, Infinity War, I'll be interested to see how Disney, who owns Marvel and, of course, who owns ABC, Buena Vista, that whole uh, larger company, more or less says, yeah, we're going to, we want that cross-pollination to happen. We want all that good stuff because that Netflix first, Agent Carter, all those things really, really work well, and they should play together because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. came about due to the fact that we had Coulson, a movie character. Sure. And, and, as, and as the movie universe went on, that interacted with the show, too. That's the difference between Warner Brothers and DC, and, and Warner Brothers is beginning to try to emulate DC. You can see them starting to break down into larger, you know, smaller units, rather. So Lego, DC, that sort of thing. They're, 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 they're creating smaller subsets, much like Disney has Pixar and Marvel and whatnot. But they don't have that Kevin Feige running around to play points saying that, I know you want to build a universe right now, but you know what you need? It's about 20 solid minutes of patience and about 30 solid minutes of legitimate plotting in here. If you have Jeff Johns, you know what you ought to let Jeff Johns do? Run a little bit of interference. And he's not a politics guy. He's a writer, but... He's a guy, I mean, you look at what he did with Lantern Rebirth, Flash Rebirth, and the upcoming, hopefully, cross your fingers, DC Rebirth, and you go and say, you know, let Jeff tell you whether or not this is a wee bit too much too soon, because if you don't, the audience is going to tell you. Having said that, everyone should always calm down, and if there are DC folks and fans going and listen to this, and saying, oh, he's another one of those guys. No, 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 don't get me wrong. I actually really enjoyed Batman vs. Superman. Batman v Superman, forgive me, never versus always be. Um, I, I enjoyed it. It was a movie that I can't say I would recommend to anybody but a comics fan. 
And I say that because it wasn't a good movie. It was a lot of fun, but it wasn't a good piece of cinematic filmmaking. They can be both. I meant I, I ripped on Nick Cage, but you know what? I loved Ghost Rider, and it's ridiculously stupid. I even like Ghost Rider Stu- uh, Spirit of Vengeance. It was really a bad movie, but I had fun. I like the original Daredevil with Ben Affleck. I will never apologize for that. It's not that bad of a movie. It's really not. It's got a lot of issues, a whole lot of issues. I had to defend that when I was young, and I was watching it with my friends. They were like, why did you make us see this? I'm like, because it was great. <laughs> but you know what? I loved it, but it wasn't a good movie. It wasn't a bad movie. It wasn't a good one. BVS isn't a good movie, but... It's got everything there. It's not going to turn a profit until DVD and merchandising and all that comes to play, but it will do enough that they're not going to pull Wonder Woman. That's nearing completion. Suicide Squad's done. Justice League begins in under a week. Um, I don't know how well that's going to turn out because even Patty Jenkins just came out, or it was maybe Gal Gadot, and used the big fat D word regarding Wonder Woman, saying that it was dark. Now, the problem with that is people need to understand that um, it would appear that it's contextualized against World War I, which was the word and all words, and hey, guess what? It was really dark. And that's okay. But don't maybe use the D word in regards to the DC movie universe anymore because people kind of want to see some brightness in those characters. Well, and that begs the question, too, is that, I mean, it goes back to looking at is it the tone of these movies that sells these movies for what they are, or is it the, just the initial quality? And I look at something like the Dark Knight trilogy, right? The Dark Knight trilogy, I mean, Christopher Nolan is, a, is an actor. He's fantastic, sure. right? Absolutely. And he was the perfect guy to get that, to, to do that, because oh, yeah. you were pulling away from that goofy Schumacher Batman universe at all. Yes, so let's never speak of that. Cropped up out of nowhere, right? But, you know, that being said is that I know a lot of people that I know who aren't comic book fans and just in general say, I like that Batman is finally dark in these movies. But as I think you're missing the point, the point of the reason why these movies work is because they're just good movies. Yeah, I mean, the thing about the Dark Knight, I mean, the thing about Batman Begins is that it's a true, it's a true, I mean, you could see through that. Batman doesn't show up for half the movie. Mm -hmm. You can see a true arc. You can see narrative. You can see things you want to see. I mean, yes, we have to watch we have to see his parents die for the millionth time. But having said that, we get past it, we go on, and it moves. In Dark Knight Rises, that's not a comic book movie. It's a movie that happens to have a comics character or three in there. And that's why it works so well. I mean, Christopher Nolan doesn't do genre movies. Of course he does, but my point being that he does movies, and they might be genre-specific. Um, Interstellar is a sci-fi movie. Inception is too. I mean, in fact, he does sci-fi primarily almost all the time, but he does movies, not comics movies. He does movies. Uh, he eliminated all the things that couldn't be somewhat plausibly constructed within an actual world, and uh, initially I, I, I didn't like that idea because I didn't want to see things stripped of all those super, you know, mega valences that, you know, things that are not plausible. But they're kind of in there. They're just in a realistic way. It's not dark. It's just gritty. Uh, BVS has a dark Batman. Justifiably so. At some point in time, the only problem I've, I've always had with Batman is the fact that when you see so much pain, so much loss, you would have to be a complete psychopath to not feel that. And of course, there are lots of articles that illustrate that Batman, in fact, is probably fairly psychopathic, as most CEOs tend to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but Batman is the legitimate character. Bruce Wayne is the facade. And that's what you get here. And I don't apologize for it. The only problem I have with it is that if you say that Dark Knight Returns is your main impetus and you fundamentally misread the idea that Batman um, doesn't 
shoot people. Um, your first scene in the movie is an almost frame-for-frame frame reshot of uh, The Dark Knight Returns, showing how he lost uh, his parents again, and he's got two prominently placed uh, Gatling guns on on the on the Batmobile in the dream sequence or whatever that was that makes perfect sense that's Batman that's lost everything the world's gone at that point there's nothing left of course he might you use do guns. what you can sure I, I'm talking about the collateral damage that's on the Batmobile I, those don't belong though those aren't there the branding I can get away with I, I that's not a problem I mean the Dark Knight Returns version is brutal uh, all the rest of that is kind of silly non-such um, blowing up KG Beast uh, Less so. Um, you know, the fact that he put his um, uh, the kryptonite gas in that kind of really machine gunish looking thing. Yeah, okay, that's that's also problematic. I mean, the the version I mean of uh, Batman you get in Miller's uh, book is that he literally holds up a rifle and breaks it in half and says, "These are the weapons of the weak. These aren't ours. Uh, these yeah. are the weapons of our enemy. We don't. Yeah. We won't use them. We don't need them." And Somehow that got lost in that retelling, and when Schneider goes out and says, "No, no, no, Batman uses guns," like no, he, he uses them to break them in half. Um, there's something fundamentally going on there. I think Schneider does. The reason why Schneider's a good uh, company director is that he takes a lot of blame. He he suffers that he infuses it into himself, and I don't necessarily think Schneider is completely to blame. He lends that film. He took the shots, but I think he shot what he was instructed from script notes. I think most folks seem to feel like that with the editing and whatnot. So I don't necessarily think that Justice League is going to be necessarily a mess. In fact, I'm just hoping, as he said, that studios go and say, well, maybe we should let the directors direct. Mm -hmm. Because this is the guy that did 300, and you know what? He did that on a small budget, and he made something really beautiful, um, adapting another piece of Frank Miller. And it, it shows that he can do that. When you give him Watchmen and you start to once again say, much bigger budget, we kind of need to go and nibble at what you're doing there, problems occur, which is why Watchmen was in development hell forever. Mm-hmm. You just got to let a director direct and then say, we took the faith to make this project go, we took the faith to hire this guy, let's let him direct something. And while there is that degree of faith with characters in comic books, right? Yeah. Like someone who's on a new team, someone who's an up-and-comer, and say, listen, we're giving you the reins to do what you need to do and do it well. We were talking about Scott Snyder a little bit sure. before this, and that was a case in general, right, where we can all point to say, here's a guy who was given something really great, oh, yeah. made something really great out of it, and carried on. That being said, with so many considerations, studio money, right, adhering to the actual faithful book, but also making something that general audiences sure, can sure, like. Sure, sure, sure. You go back to what Alan Moore said about his movies being adapted, and well, it was simply yeah. just don't. <laughs> don't for a multitude of reasons, but simply because I wrote this for this medium. Exactly. It exists in this medium, and it should not exist outside exactly. of the medium. Uh, Frank, uh, not Frank, I'm t- Frank on the brain, but Alan should be there. Mm-hmm. Um, Alan Moore is a, a legitimate genius. I'm looking forward to the 1,000-plus page Jerusalem coming out finally this fall, and that's a class in itself. Um, like, literally the only text in the class, but that's <laughs> neither here nor there. He does. He constructs for a medium. And now he's started writing for different platforms. He and his company, he's doing electric comics. He's doing, you know, movies. And they're very good because he, writ- he wrote the thing for that medium. So 
you can understand when he sees his creations, you know, like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and he more or less just cries. Even V for Vendetta, which is one of my favorite movies which of all time. Which is a really, really good adaptation. It's so Americanized, but of course it's Americanized because it's primarily being done for an American audience. Mm-hmm. But it's a good movie. It really is. It's not the book. It's no. not the book. It looks a lot like it, but it doesn't have it right at all if we're going to do it from that adaptive standpoint. But it's its own thing, and it's really, really good. Um, and I would never, never, never besmirch that in any way because it really is a good piece of cinema. What I'm going to say is, again, I don't want it to sound like DC bashing. I'm going to say it strictly from the perspective of, let's look at Civil War, what we expect from Civil War. Civil War is a massive set of books. If memory serves, it's over 200 interconnecting pieces with a six-part narrative that was done by Millar. Yep. That can't be done in a movie. No. So what did they do? They said, we're going to take the basic concept and we're gonna boil it down to the characters we have and we're gonna construct something that works in the vein and this was literally what the Russos say they were clamoring for but I think it was always heading this direction anyway with Infinity War coming up we're gonna do it in the vein it's gonna have that feeling it's gonna have uh, there's a critic named I.A. Richards who talks about tenor and vehicle vehicle is the thing that the messages put in tenor of course is it's the feeling it's gonna have that tenor of civil war but it's not going to be what, what it is. It's not going to have the Superhero Registration Act. It's going to have the Sokovia Accords because, as the, 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 all the previews have painstakingly pointed out, yeah, they blow stuff up a lot, and that's a problem, and they're addressing the fact. A lot of fans go and say, man, they blow up New York, they blow up Sokovia, and everyone's just fine. No, they just haven't gotten to that story yet. That's what this story is about, being held for accountability. Why a soldier wouldn't want accountability is a little bit beyond me, but I'm hoping that's explained. Mm-hmm. By They just did the first uh, test screenings yesterday, and right now it looks like a home run. But you know what? They said the same thing about BVS. Test screenings are usually done for people that are going to go and say good things. Let's see what the critical screening is. Having said that, we're talking about first-time directors. The Russo brothers, dudes that, if memory serves, started out in uh, commercials and Foo Fighter videos. And they also did Community, too. That's right. I mean, they were given this huge, massive film... But they were well vetted. They were really well vetted. And arguably, uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier is is the best out of the lot. It, and I mean, I, you can make a really. I mean, it, I'm not going to lie. Avengers isn't my favorite because it looks like it was made for TV. But they were taking a chance on Joss Whedon, and Joss Whedon still knocked it out of the park. Mm-hmm. But they gave that money, that time, and that development, and yeah. You had something that could have been a 1970s exploitation vehicle. You even have Robert Redford in it. Robert freaking Redford comes on and says, "I got to be part of this." And why? And Robert Redford doesn't make bad movies. Okay, maybe one or two. But in his, you know, now in his more August years, he's being very choosy. And yeah, they make basically the best vehicle. They pick when. I mean, this is a company that will go and say to Edgar Wright, "Listen, man, we know you're." Edgar Wright, you're amazing. You make great movies. You even know how to make comics movies. Scott Pilgrim vs. the Universe, one of, one of my favorite movies, just period. But you know what? What you're seeing and what we're seeing doesn't work, so I'm sorry. Or maybe he breaks with them. We don't know exactly. And then they pull out some dude named Sean Payton who hadn't done much at all, but they get Adam McKay in there to do some rewrite, and he, they, do, they, they make it more applicable to their universe, and you come up with one of the better... Marvel's first movies are some of the better Marvel movies in general and it's a bit different it's a comedy so they're broaching out broaching out a bit they get Scott Derrickson a dude that's known primarily for horror to do the magic movie meaning um, Doctor Strange and you get um, 
a dude that used to write on uh, ain't it, you mean, for anyone that wants to get angry about geekdom, forget about it. I mean, uh, Cargill, otherwise known as masterworkinformaticcool.com, he's the guy that Scott Derrickson taps to go and do it. Mm-hmm. And it looks like just heaven. They'll push things off. They'll move things around. They'll do things that they have to do because they're saying, we're Disney. We, we remember what happens when we just started pumping out movies through the 60s and the 70s. And even towards the, the late end of the 1980s, early 90s, when we were just trying to keep up that Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast success, but it was suddenly running thin by Lilo and Stitch. Hmm. So we, we know through Pixar, we know of quality control, and we're going to we're gonna go and take our time with this, even if we gotta move things back. I mean, people are like, where's the Black Panther movie? Like, it's coming, and it looks like something that's remarkable. How are they gonna do Captain Marvel? They haven't even introduced Carol Danvers. Well, they were gonna, but they were gonna tack her on to the end of Ultron, and they didn't wanna do that. They remembered what happened with, uh, kinda, with Iron Man 2, and they still gave him too much. I mean, Whedon, too much crap drove him out of the place. And we've got these directors, the Russos, that really know what they're doing. We're gonna make an investment in them for Infinity War to make this thing that not only will you love, but will be something that will be impossibly good. Because look at the number of moving parts in that thing. This shouldn't work. No, and it shouldn't. And then the interesting thing is, too, is that, you know, I think the biggest fan gripe, too, is you don't have all the characters that you need for it. But it goes back again to using the vehicle that you have and then moving forward with that. Oh, yeah. I mean, and the thing is, is that you never know. Right now, Fantastic Four is a moribund property. Nothing would surprise me to see a sweetheart deal either akin to what they did with Spider-Man or possibly maybe just giving the characters up outright because they wrecked it so badly last time just so they can hold on to the characters. You might see them leap in there. I don't know if you need them. I don't even know if, you know, people are wondering, Thanos won't even be in um, the next Guardian of the Galaxy. You have to wonder, what is, I mean, there's that tag on at the end of Avengers to say to fight the humans is to court death. And of course, that's all Thanos lives for. He wants to die and court death. He exterminates half the universe to go and get her to acknowledge him. Things you do for love, right? Um, you don't even know if that's really going to be how he operates and moves. Um, he might just be tyrannical. I mean, he is, you know, the mad titan. Of course, he is from Titan in, in the books, but we don't know that how it works and operates here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got what's his face saying, um, oh, forgive me, uh, director of Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm throwing so many names that I'm forgetting oh, all the other ones. Oh, um, right. it's James Gunn. Thank you. Gunn's going out and saying that they're in the Andromeda Galaxy, which is like, wait, they're, they're Guardians of a different galaxy? <laughs> and you don't know if he's being serious or otherwise. Like, wait, he, they've got to be guarding our galaxy, and if so, he wouldn't necessarily be the Thanos of Titan. I mean, we just don't know, and but that's what we do as fans, right? We extrapolate, we think, we, we speculate, we gotta have all the information, we follow the podcast, we follow the internet fan sites, we, we listen to all the stuff we can because we want it right now. That's who we are, that's how we are. We want this, and we want it right. And that goes into another thing, too, and this is, I think, a good thing to leave off on. Yeah. Since we have so many expectations of what we want, right, we're so tapped into spoilers, and we may or may not spoil the heft of the movie before we even see it for ourselves. Oh, yeah. You know, do we do we work against ourselves when these things come out, that we get so ingrained in these finite details, minute details, that we can't enjoy the thing that we love the most? People don't understand, and they often forget that the base word, the root word of fan, which is the shortened version, is fanatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and the problem there is, is that sometimes we love a bit too hard, 
And when we love too hard, number one, we set ourselves up a lot of times to be disappointed because in our own heads, nothing anybody puts on the screen will ever be as beautiful or as vainglorious as what's inside of yours. What's inside your head's always going to be better than what you see on the screen because it's yours. It's personalized. It's everything you want it to be. And that's where the fandom, you know, you see fan fiction, you see people doing fan video games, you see all that. That's where the fans really have it down because they can talk, they can geek out, never be ashamed to be a geek and nerd, etc. That, if, let me tell you right now, here's my Eisner acceptance speech for if I ever win an Eisner for one of my books. Get it, get it here first. Oh, yeah, yeah, because I'm never going to get to actually say this. Exclusive. If I could go back to the fat little 15-year-old that was getting excoriated by my friends for reading Spider-Man and not reading Spawn because I didn't think it was written that well, but liking the art, I would go back to him and say, listen, don't apologize for a thing you love because in 25, 30 years, you're going to be this dude who literally can teach, write on comics, work with creators, do all this stuff, and boldness, this is going to be what you do because you loved it. And you know what? You never have to apologize for that. But don't lose your mind in the process because the things you make, the things they make, they're good. But remember, even though comics, move, I mean, comics movies, comics filming stuff has been around forever, going all the way back to, you know, the adventures of Superman, both the, the George Reed's version and, of course, the beautiful cartoon. We're going back into the 30s and the 40s. It's like professional wrestling. It's been around forever. And there's been stuff that in the day was okay. But in the last 20 years, we have seen a renaissance. We've seen an enlightenment of comics that's just going to get better. I mean, we can do things that are impossible. The things that we could only do in our imaginations, we're going to see that. We're going to have that. We're going to... The future is so bright. I am wearing shades right now in here. because I forgot my glasses, but... Um, it's one of those things where everything that you want eventually probably will be. The comics aren't burning out. The critics might be burning out and having to see all these things because we're looking at ridiculous numbers of stuff and they didn't think it was going to be, but it is! And it's not going away. Comics have been around forever, and I mean that literally. Back to you could see pictographic text, uh, Egyptian hieroglyphs, Sumerian cuneiform, all that stuff. The words you read on the screen are pictures. Comics have been around forever, and they've been around in America for about 150-ish years, getting close to that right now. Um, they're not going away. In fact, we're, we're going to see brave new things. The future is so bright and so good. If you love something, love it. If you hate it, give it a chance. Because you know what? You didn't like that Daredevil movie? It came back, and I don't know anyone that doesn't love Daredevil. And now there's Jessica Jones, and soon Luke Cage, and we're going to probably get a Punisher, and they're even going to do Iron Fist, and they're going to get a version of the Defenders. You're going to get all of these things that you love because you're going to pay for it. And if you will pay for it, it will come. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not me being Yoda-ish. That's more or less me just saying... Everyone love it, but don't love it to death. If you hug something, that's great. If you hug it to the point where it can't breathe anymore, it's going to die. It's going to be all right. It really is. Nothing makes me sadder. got to stop hitting your mic. Nothing makes me sadder when I see people on um, boards, like on Facebook or just, you know, literally on comic book resources, yelling at each other, saying, Marvel boys suck, DC fanboys suck, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, Dudes, it doesn't need to be like this. No, 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 no hate. And I'm guilty of that too, right? Because I mean, obviously, like I'm a big DC guy, and I really want DC to succeed. And when someone, you know, blasts what honestly is not the greatest film in the world, but you still had a good time seeing it, yeah. It's like, 
why are you not seeing what I saw? And it's and it's interesting too because you get caught up in it. We even had this conversation. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I used to be that kid too. I was angry when I saw Spawn the movie. I'm like, what is this? What is this noise? And I remember Roger Ebert, the the man whose author I, I actually genuflected at for a long time as a film critic and as a critic in general, said he gave it three and a half stars, and I said, the man who preaches to me. You know, right now there's nothing left. There's even Devin Faraci and Drew McWeeny and you know all these cats that do good work. They're they're not Roger. You can you know Matt. Uh, I can't think. Of, I'm about to give me your name. Um, the guy that took over RogerEbert.com. You put them all together, you still don't get the man that Roger Ebert was at his prime. This guy that I've 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 literally factored my career on said I would love this thing and I hate it. And what it came down to basically was that in my head, I had something that couldn't be done at the time. And what was put on the screen was a very noble effort, but it wasn't the thing I wanted for a variety of reasons. And I got salty. And now, as I lean into 40, I'm kind of, well, number one, I mean, it's, it's basically like, you know, I teach, so you know what? I have a lot of kids. I rent them, but I have a lot of kids. And um, you, you learn patience, and you know that it's like, okay, BVS, it wasn't perfect, not by a country mile, but there's enough. There's going to be a Batman movie done, written and probably directed by Ben. There's going to be a Wonder Woman from Patty Jenkins. There's going to be a Flash, more than likely with Ezra Miller. There's going to be an Aquaman movie, and they might it might be an Aquaman that I don't hate. You know, there's going to be these things that shouldn't be. And Twenty years ago, I never thought would happen, and they're going to be, and they're going to people remember, remember that the Anne Lee Hulk happened. Remember all those Punisher movies that happened. Remember the first X-Men movie, which is not, of course, a Marvel property in terms of Marvel Studios. Mm-hmm. You had to have your, you had, remember the first Spider-Man? Yeah. Those things. You had to have your duds. Yeah, they weren't even duds. They weren't home runs. Remember the 89 Batman? That's not even a movie that makes a lick of sense. If you go through it, none of that makes any sense whatsoever. And you know what came out of that? Nothing but WB animation that's been anything less. Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill came out of that. Which and definitive. Though, that, if you want, you, who's Batman? Kevin Conroy. Yeah, and who's the Joker? There's only been one. Mark Hamill. It's always Mark Hamill. Absolutely. Luke is the Joker, and it's perfect. That's always the voice in my head. No ma- I loved what was done in The Dark Knight, but you know what? That's not the Joker. Mark Hamill, until the day he dies and thereafter, because they've cast somebody to pick up after him, who sounds like him, is the Joker voice. So, and that came from an oops. So there we have it. There's no one real way that a adaptation fails. There's no real one way that it works. But <clears throat> what we do have to remember in summation is to not love this thing so much that we kill our fandom. No, no, don't let your love die. Don't get salty, y'all. Just, just remember that you... I, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase. Well, actually, I'm not because we're on, you know, we're on a podcast, and I'm not going to swear on a curse. Mm. But just remember what fertilizer, or where it comes from. <laughs> but roses can bloom from fertilizer, to paraphrase a garbage song, uh, and that's the truth. Just because something didn't work perfectly the first time, give it a minute. Give it a good long hard minute. I got a lot of love and faith for Suicide Squad. I got a lot of love and faith. Apparently, there's a lot of Batman in there, which is going to make me just, you know. I squeal. I squealed when Batman came out in, in the movie. And I'm fo- almost 40 years old. I don't care. I apologize for nothing. What I will say is that I will 
bet the farm that I don't own um, that DC is not only going to pull out and right the ship, but a lot quicker than people are worried about. Don't freak out. I know y'all. we always have to freak out because that's where we are right now. But I think the future is solid for Marvel. I think it's solid for DC. We even talk about the Valiant-verse coming. Valiant's got great books, and they're going to become, hopefully, great filmic properties. And we don't talk about the Dark Horse movies that have come out, and they're going to come out. The time is good. We didn't even get to talk about Preacher, which when Preacher oh, lands. Oh, no. Oh, Preacher. When Preacher lands, I want to have you back on. And oh, God, on yes. Well and too. I mean that very much pun intended. Um, I, You know what? I tr- I never thought I would say that I trust Seth Rogen with a property like Preacher. Me absolutely neither. But you know what? I was a little weirded out by what they showed in, in the trailer. We'll see. I, they're, they're flipping around the script, and that's fine. I'm, I'm, if I mean, listen, we didn't even talk about ne- the drop of Negan, which, by the way, I, you're going to hear all the F-bomb Negans on the DVD if you really, truly want it. But mm-hmm. that 10 minutes, and yes, I know the ending was enough to make a lot of people angry, but I understand why they did it, and I still don't care. That That's Denny from Grey's Anatomy doing a perfect freaking Negan, even with a beard, self-acknowledged, <laughs> and I'm sitting there wrapped after 80 minutes of like, come on, i got to go to the bathroom so bad. Yeah, man. I mean, it's good. It's good. We're going to get The Boys, also done by Goldberg and Rogan. And that's not even a thing that should be as a comic or anything. You're going to get that. Mm-hmm. You're going to, I mean, I, I can't even. I'm, I'm, I'm going to drop that line for you right now at 40 years old. I can't even. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm, 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 I'm literally caffeinated. I'm not caffeinated, but I'm literally shaken with joy of the things, the plenty that we're going to have. There's a comic for every kid, for every girl and every boy, and it's there. It's coming. We're going to get more. Be happy. Don't be grumpy. I know you want to. I was for about 10 solid minutes. I was, about a, I was about grumpy for about two weeks. You can ask these guys. If you're of the age, and only if you're of the age, of course, remember, Celebration Cinemas in Town does serve alcohol. Sometimes that's not a bad idea with what you're watching. <laughs> I, I do it every single time I have to watch a Transformers movie. Fair enough. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Summers, for coming on. Absolutely. We're kick off and have a word from our sponsors, and we'll get back to check recommendations and recommendations. Thank you all for having me. Welcome back. It's time for Checks and Recs, where we give you some recommendations for you to check them a date. <laughs> it's my favorite segment of the show. Uh, who would like to begin? Not me, because I still need to think of some things. Hey, the viewers don't need to know that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go first. I can't lie to the people. <laughs> the people are my friends. The people know. Yeah. Oh my gosh, no. Well, there was this really cool thing, but apparently Nintendo just removed it, because they suck, and they like to suck, and apparently piss babies were involved. That's the, what the corporate... Uh, officers saying but that's the uh the legal term last week there was a really cool fan recreation of the legend of zelda the original game uh in honor of the game's 30th anniversary they remade the game in three dimensions it was a demo so not all of the dungeons were available but you could beat i think up to the first three or four uh you could play it on your your desktop computer or on mobile and it was essentially the game played exactly the same but it was from uh kind of like an isometric view so you got a little bit of like a tilt on it and everything was created in three dimensions so it looked really sweet it looked really like modern but retro at the same time uh and that was at zelda 30 tribute.com apparently nintendo asked them to remove it for copyright infringement and i just found this out now so sorry about that my check and rec doesn't work <laughs> uh but i don't know maybe it'll maybe it'll and come up said, in the and you said i was the bad guy yes Awkward. i uh, i apologize for that one sorry folks 
got anything else? I don't know. I guess I'll try to think of something. <laughs> right. Oh, you don't, they don't need to know that. We'll, we'll give we'll give Malachi a second. I'll go ahead and uh, give mine. Um, so I'm definitely not going to suggest going to see Batman v Superman because I thought it was horrible. But what I will suggest to you is going to Cold Stone because that's what I did after the movie, and that was the only redeeming part of the night. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to not fail. Uh, the people of our podcast, as right we now, have, as you guys have. <laughs> okay, so first thing I'm gonna I'm gonna re- uh, check it, tell you to check out and wreck out. Watch Archer. Man, oh Kai, yeah, you were talking definitely. about it. Mackenzie was we were watching Bob's Burgers, which is the same voice, the same guy who does. Yep. And this the trailer for Hulu kept coming up where the guy is like talking about how much he loves Archer, and I kind of looked at Mackenzie. Mackenzie looks at me, she's like, let's just try it out. Three seasons later, yeah. <laughs> you know. No, it's it's great. I mean, it it's definitely one of those shows where if you don't have the if you don't like the first episode, just stop watching it because it's it's one of those shows where it's pretty much what you see is what you get. It doesn't really change. And if you just don't have that that humor to to think that it's funny, don't watch it. Just but if you if you love it, like save yourself I, the trouble. Yeah, just save yourself the trouble. Don't go okay, maybe like three three episodes and no, it's it's it, but it's great. I can't recommend it enough. Um another thing I'm going to recommend um John Schnapp, who is a movie talk nerd, finish, like super nerd that I love, made a documentary called Death of Superman Lives What Happens. It was basically about the movie uh, Death of Superman. and Or no, sorry. Super, it was called Superman Lives or something like that. So yeah. it's a, about why that movie – it's the – The movie that was uh, Tim Burton, Tim right? Burton and, and Nicolas Cage Nicolas was going to play Superman. was going to play Superman. It was, it's like why that movie – died that documentary is amazing but he's actually just starting it's it's in he's trying to i think it's on gofundme or kickstart or something his next documentary which is called um something like something the rise of the uber nerd i'm sorry i'll i'll tweet it out using the raving geeks it's something the rise of the and it's basically a documentary about how even though we have reached a point where superhero movies and media has like made the geek culture huge comic book stores themselves are kind of like going out of business because no one's really buying comics and if they do they buy them through Amazon or yeah. you no know, so it's kind of like a documentary about like how how we can like how just kind of think it was over like talking about comic books in general and how he feels that we can save like this culture because they're the reason why we have the movies. Yeah. So if if you're into like GoFundMe's and stuff like that, th- I would say that's one to go check out. Um my last recommendation is on Hulu if you have Hulu, there's the show starring Aaron Paul from um breaking bad fame um it's called the path and it's kind of about like a cult it's kind of like making fun of scientology in a way not like making fun but it like the religion that is being followed is kind of like scientology but it's not but it's you, when you watch it, you go okay this is kind of like <laughs> it is but it's not but yeah it and it and it's i think there's One two of those it's there's two episodes out it's like a hulu show where they're gonna do release like a new episode every wednesday it's really good it's kind of a slow burn so you know Give it, give it time, but it's really, really good. I, I really enjoy it, and I think everyone else should check it out. Awesome. Well, my recommendation really like came out strong there. Triple threat after uh, I had to pick up a after we failed. You really to used, your, used your time effectively. Uh, I'm gonna recommend the Myths and Legends podcast. It's just called Myths and Legends. So if you guys like listening to podcasts, this one is kind of a uh, story time podcast where the host goes through uh, various 
myths and legends like the legend of King Arthur, like Heracles, uh, Thor, some Irish legends, uh, Native American stories and stuff like that too. And he kind of like makes them really accessible and he gives you a bit of a historical context behind it. So most episodes are about half an hour long. Um, they're, they're pretty interesting. They're pretty well done. It's They're only got about 25 episodes out right now, so I think it's basically been going on I for subscribed half to a just year. the other day. Oh, really? Yeah, it was kind of like, oh, this looks fun, so it's kind of funny that you mentioned that. Yeah, there you go. And I'm just and before Kelsey goes, sorry, one more thing. I got to I gotta talk about another, you know, our honorary geek, as we say, is David Griffin. Please go on YouTube through Collider's video thing. Watch his show, TV Talk. He's, it's, he's, we had him on, and honestly, I kind of feel bad that we didn't talk about TV with him as much as we did. Because that man knows television. Like, seriously, if you want to know what to be watching on Netflix, watching on Hulu, just or just watching on TV, just watch that show. They talk about everything, and he knows everything about TV. Every once in a while, I'll text him and be like, hey, what should I be watching? And he'll tell me. Every, every recommendation he gives me is good. So please just go just, just go support him because he supported us. Sweet. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I do actually have a real recommendation. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot about it. It is also a podcast. Um, it's by Comedy Bang Bang. They do a bunch of them, and, uh, <clears throat> sorry, this episode, it's episode number 355, and it's called Kid Detectives, and it's hilarious. You should listen to it. What is it about? Like, what do they do? Um, they're basically, like, trying to find clues as to why their mother is murdered, was murdered. <laughs> oh, that sounds hilarious. And it, it's it's really <laughs> funny. <laughs> it's really dark, but funny. Yeah. Right on. Okay. Well, well that's most importantly, us... listen to our podcast the most. Yeah, no, so yeah, the, I recommend Raving Geeks. Yeah, yeah. same. <laughs> Uh, if you guys haven't had the chance, go follow us on Twitter at Raving Geeks. Um, we are going to be back with another episode last week, guys. We're almost to the end of the semester. It's I don't sad. Know if you realize man. that. I feel like I haven't had enough cry. time with you as I wanted. We have done. Yeah, and now that now that you and Ben are fighting, and you guys aren't allowed to be in the same room, that's honestly what happened, folks. This Batman v Superman here. argument. It's it's getting serious. As someone who mom is and like, dad are getting divorced. Yeah, we think Kelsey, yeah. like you and I, we're seeing it firsthand. It's. Like, they don't really talk to each other as much anymore. Like, the only time they talk to each other on social media, it's always like a snide, snide comment, like, making the, fun of each the other. The last episode that we did, we actually just, uh, we recorded in separate rooms and spliced the audio. Yeah, no, no, it's it's getting, it's really tough for me, for Kelsey and I to, like, sit here and, like, have to talk about this. They didn't thing. even want to hear each other's voices, so we actually had to sign, use American, American yeah. Sign Language. Yeah. To translate. It's one of those things that anytime Malachi wants to say something, Ben, he whispers it to me and then I have to tell Ben. Yeah. Yeah. I have a team of lawyers behind me right now to you know to make sure everything works out. Yeah. Guys, we've done forty five episodes. Did you realize that? Wow. Well, not not you guys. Me and Ben have done forty five oh, episodes. But Raving Geeks as an institution has done forty five well, episodes. Real. It the party really didn't start until Kelsey and I came in. No, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Some of those old episodes are rough. Don't go back and listen to them. But um Thank you guys for keeping the train running. We will be back next week. Same bat time, same bat network.